Good evening and welcome back. David Penn here, the Professor Penn Podcast, episode 72. It's the 8th of November when we're recording this, and this is going to go up on the 9th of November. Am I correct about this? Because I had a suggestion in the comments that we should um, date these, and I think that's a really good comment. Sorry, I can't remember who suggested it. You're out there. You know, getting that age, losing some of the details. However, it was a great idea. So we're recording this on the mo- morning of the 8th of November. It's about 7.15 a.m. And this is going to go up 7.30 p.m. Welcome, Thursday night, the 9th. Professor Penn podcast is coming on today after another stunning upset in a um, another uh, national election day up in all the polls before the election, and lost everything yet again. Huh. does make one kind of pause and go, what, what's up with that? Every election cycle. Do you notice that the Republican agenda is always winning in the polls, and when they have the election, it always loses? No, it doesn't lose everywhere, but it loses most places. Like here in Minnesota, in Minnetonka, Minnesota, where I live, there was an effort to repeal Ranked choice voting failed. I had one of the people in my political uh, orbit, so to speak, run for city council, lost. Uh, I could go on and on. I mean, it just was, that was the local. Ohio, the um, votes were not um, supportive of the Republican agenda. Virginia, right next to the Emerald City. Lost all control of the state house there, did they? Wow. Governors were reelected all over, Democrats. I mean, you know, it was, uh, was a great night to um, celebrate if you were a leftist because your agenda is prevailing for whatever reason. You know, I'm just going to say this. Tonight, we're talking about borders, boundaries, and rebellion. Borders and boundaries. The law the law. We need to focus on the law. All of us. We're going to talk about that. I'm trying to focus on it. And so it's an opportunity for me to think about it and present some ideas to you. Uh, I want to thank Free People Radio. What a great business we got going here. We get to serve we the people. We get to be creative. We get to work together as a team here, creative team. Um, We're trying not to go broke. Um, you can go and support the Free People Radio content, and we would appreciate it if you did. And if you've done it, thank you very much. Some people are doing that. Uh, as you know, we're trying to be self-financed uh, within our movement so that we don't have to sell out. In fact, we're not going to sell out. That's just the way it is. That's a rule around. You know, every business organization has a, a work culture, an organizational culture, and has a mission statement, and if there was a mission statement at Free People Radio, within that paragraph would be, I will not sell out. You know, and that's part of the the benefit of being a little bit uh, long in the tooth because you've had opportunities to sell out along the way. So if you've turned them down up till now, it's unlikely to get a reversal at this point because I'm working the back nine. Not a lot of benefit to sell out. No, the benefit is in... Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. 
Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. I was asked in the live chat uh, this past Tuesday night, you know, where did this uh, come from? Did I make this up? And as a matter of fact, I've altered or um, edited a very ancient Hebrew prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving that religious uh, Jews the world over, pray in Hebrew every day, every morning. It's the morning prayers, part of the morning prayers. And, um, you know, I, I'd like to do it for you sometime and chant it for you in Hebrew, but I don't want to scare people because actually I'm very good at that. I, I can sing the prayers and I, I enjoy singing them, but if I bust out in a, a Hebrew uh, a chant, you know, people are going to think I'm, uh, I don't know what they're going to think. I got a lot of anti-Semites that are following me around. I don't want to throw uh, fuel on the fire. That's not my intention. My intention is balance and peace. So I haven't been uh, pushing that aspect of it. But for those of you that are wondering, it is a Hebrew prayer. I have modified it and updated it because, as I've said, I'm also a child of the New Testament. So when I pray this, if you realize I'm always thanking something that's already happened in my own mind, I'm in my own mind, God created light and dark. I mean, I believe that. So whatsoever I wish for when I pray, I believe that I've received it, and I will have it. And I keep saying this because we're learning how to pray. And why are we learning how to pray? Well, hey, things are not going too well in the material world here for those of us that are Christians. I mean, every time we have, as I was saying, every time there's an election, we're up in the polls and down in the dirt the day after the election. How does that happen? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And we're going to talk about it and, you know, go back to that. We're an underground transmission. I want to stay on air. I like to be a Jewish person talking about Nazis. Hard for people to take me down because that's kind of the linchpin of the New World Order. You know, globalism. Jewish people are the linchpin, the identity linchpin, and Israel is the linchpin of the whole globalist architecture. We can see it now in, in bold relief. But the, uh, the law is such an important thing to focus on. Borders are on our mind. We were playing some clips this past uh, podcast uh, of what was going on down in the Darien Gap. 
and put together by the great Michael Yan. You can go back and look at it. That's episode 71. And I ran a clip about just the massive influx of people. And we know about, I mean, we know it. I mean, I know most of the people in the audience are well aware of this and are focused on it. And I said, I just want to leave a marker. Okay, the marker's there in episode 71. Now we're going to talk about the law. The law. The law. What does it do? Where does it come from? What is its significance? You know, we're taught in our civics, civics classes, and I, I mean, I, I know most of the people that are watching this, and good evening to all of you, and I hope you're feeling well. I know most of you are aware of the three branches of governance, but we do have people coming into the community that are not educated in their schools with basic civics. And I just want to say, we have the executive branch, which is the president. We have the legislative branch, which is the Congress. And we have the judicial branch, which is the law, the rule of law, the three branches. And we put so much emphasis, so much societal and cultural emphasis on the executive branch and on the judicial, excuse me, on the legislative branch. But that judicial branch gets far less scrutiny. It's far less understood. And we need to start to focus on that. <clears throat> because guess what? The communists have focused on it. And they're doing a great job working with it to the detriment of people of faith. So we need to come up with some new insights and some new strategies, and I want to start to delve into that. And I want to also say that uh, in times of trouble, in times of trouble, in times of trouble, we develop our faith. And I'm listening to all this negative chatter in the people around me, and I'm watching the MSNBC people on Morning Joe this morning take a you know a victory lap took a victory lap they were very fired up about it kicked our ass again hey what a surprise my good friend mr tom he was laughing last night he called me he said well i'm going to help out i'm an election judge but wait a wait what a waste of time you know people have opinions people have opinions um but in times like this when it's so dark for the people that have faith, it is a dark time. We need to rely on God. It's a great moment to decide where are you placing your focus on yourself, on the material, or on the spiritual. That's what we're doing here. That's what's going on in the world. Everybody's got to choose a side suddenly. Hey, you know, in my generation, for most of my life, you could play both sides of the football, you know, because there was no real penalties. Nobody was really calling foul for that. But now you really have to choose a side. Just got to choose a side. And uh, that's really cool. And I've been saying for quite a long time that my biggest problem with Donald Trump, because he's a man, right? We're expecting perfection from him. My biggest problem with him is the time he was asked if he has anything that he, you know, regrets or that he has anything that he did in his life 
that was incorrect or that he was seeking redemption from. And he said, no, I can't think of it. And I thought to myself, well, oh, boy, you love yourself. And that's a flaw. You know, in my opinion, it doesn't make discredit Donald Trump for me. I think many of the things he says and thinks about are creative and novel and uh, really a true juxtaposition to the Uni Party, and I think that's very important. But I've always felt, my goodness gracious, if Donald Trump could humble himself and call upon God, and people saw that humility in him, it could be a game changer. And I'm going to show you what I ran across. Could you play this piece on Trump and God, please? You do what God called you to do. You show up. You put one foot in front of the other. You have no idea what God has calling for you. You have no idea where you're going, and in some cases, you don't know why. But he needs you. He needs me. He needs all of us. It is God that is the answer, and it is the same turning to God, the ultimate answer to evil. America is a nation strengthened and sustained by God and the prayers of all his children. Well, that's kind of a wow for me because, uh, first of all, I resonated with some of the ideas that were presented. And if you've been watching the podcasts, I say the same thing here. So I know this is authentically uh, Trump seeking the eternal and the supernatural, seeking God. And why wouldn't he? The guy is besieged on all sides by forces that are overwhelming him in, in, in some very significant aspect. He's given his life and his fortune and his reputation. He's giving everything. And at first it was, I think, about revenge and the conflict and the fight. But he's been in this so long, it's really become now about the American people and about certain ideals. The fundamental one is a creator that grants unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, you know, you see the same thing in Alex Jones. You know, I, I, I didn't know who Alex Jones was a year ago. I mean, I had like I had like kind of I've said this. I had a vague idea that he was out there, but I never listened to him. And you know, here he is, and he's he's um, he's saying things on his podcast that I'm thinking myself the same day. I mean, novel things. We're tuned into the same ideas, and if you're living in that supernatural orientation or that spiritual orientation, that's no surprise because God is active and moving on this planet, even if we cannot see it yet or see it in our own lives today. We have to keep knocking. We have to keep trying to get that connection. We have to ask for it. And even if we have the connection like Professor Penn's developed, I'm asking for more all the time. What can I do to make myself a better servant of the Lord? And so. That's why we're talking about the law. I have to ask you, is that, you think that uh, sound's going to get through? We're good. There's, uh, they're actually mowing the lawn right outside the studio, and I feel disturbed. It's distracting me, but if it's not distracting you, please allow me to continue. We're going to talk about borders. 
Now, we talked about borders on this last podcast. And uh, we, we saw scenes of just mass migration, and we've, we've been talking about this over many podcasts. Let's talk about borders in a different way. And this is not to be thumping the Bible. I'm not doing that. I'm looking at this from the perspective of being a cultural anthropologist or an organizational uh, anthropologist looking at the organization of our society and the fundamental ideas that underlie that society, the fundamentals. My father used to say, life and religion are not an a la carte line. You can't take what you want and leave what you don't. In other words, what he was saying is that there are certain fundamental ideas that if you pull them out of people's thinking, that organization of reality collapses. And we're seeing a collapse, right? I mean, we're watching it. You know, but remember, there are people that are seeing this collapse as a very good thing, right? If you're having a traditional orientation, you're missing the fact that the LBGTQ plus thinks this is fantastic. Fantastic. Black Lives Matter thinks this is fantastic. The communist thinks this, this is fantastic what's going on, that the world is being liberated from an illusion. And what's the illusion? Well, the illusion is found in Exodus, this is the old book, 20, 1 through 14. Talking about borders, borders. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the eternal your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Think about what he's saying, God is saying. You owe your life to me. I just proved it to you. I rescued you. I released the captives. I raised up the downtrodden. I healed the blind. Right in front of you. You're all alive. You saw this happen. But I'm just going to remind you, because you're a stiff-necked people, and then there was some rules that came out. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God is number one in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Not making money, not chasing women, not playing with our cell phones. You know, this is a no kidding around. This is a fundamental. You shall have no other gods before me. It's a border, a boundary. The Bible is establishing a boundary in our lives. What comes first? Here's first, boundary, and down below, everything else. Or what comes first? God, boundary, everything else. Cross, interesting, isn't it? You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any manner of likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Because this was a long time ago, and people made idols of the natural world. They worshipped the strength of the natural system. We are still doing this in our own strange ways. But it's forbidden. It's a boundary. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
Because they're foreign gods. They're subordinated to the one true living God. For I, the eternal, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the inequity of the ancestors upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me. Oh, now we're getting down to why this regime is to be overthrown. Because it's judgmental. There's boundaries and rules that people don't want to follow. So very simple. I'm not doing this to pump, you know, pump the Bible up here. I'm saying this is a fundamental of Western culture, and this is being overturned. And we're looking at all this migration. What are we going to do about this? We're losing every election. What are we going to do about this? Always up in the polls, lose every election. What's that? What are we going to do? What is our personal strategy? What is Professor Penn's personal strategy of response when everything I do politically fails? Got to have a strategy. Otherwise, I'm just going to roll over and suck my thumb, right? I hope we're not going to join the thumb-sucking crew here. This is a political action community. We are not going to give up. We are going to get more intense because we have things we believe in, and that's politics. Not only does God visit the inequity of the ancestors upon the children to the third and fourth generation, three and four, listen to this one. This is right out of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And showing mercy to the thousandth generation of those that love me and keep my commandments. So you go down this road and you forsake God, and I, you know, down to the third and fourth generation, your kids are going to pay for that decision. But if you love God for a thousand generations, God will be merciful to our descendants. I mean, these are promises in the Bible. And, of course, the people that don't believe in God think this is a, a BS story, as we're about to see. You shall not take the name of the Eternal your God in vain, for the Eternal will not hold them guiltless those that take God's name in vain. In other words, don't swear to God. I swear to God. You know, you can't use God as your cover story. Like for the neocons that wrap themselves up in the religious rite. You know, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Just is. These are the fundamental contradictions that we have to work through in our society if we're going to restore borders and boundaries which are essential to the well-being of the people. Can you play this piece uh, with George Carlin on religion now? It's perfect, perfect. This is the, the other side of the coin. When it comes to bull****, truly major league bull****, you have to stand back in awe, in awe of the all-time heavyweight champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. Organized religion. It's no contest. Religion easily, easily has the best bull story of all time. Think about it. Religion has convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a list of ten specific things he doesn't want you to do. And if you do any of these things, he will send you to a special place 
of burning and fire and smoke and torture and anguish for you to live forever and suffer and burn and scream until the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, and all-wise. Just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions and billions of dollars. They pay no taxes, and somehow they always need money. You talk about a good bullshit story. If I may be permitted a small pun, Holy sh! <laughs> Holy sh! Thank you. So we have this um, fundamental in our um, culture, and then over the course of time, we have this comedy making fun of faith in God. And this is George Carlin. If you don't know him, for the Boomer generation, this guy was big time. I remember seeing him in the 1960s on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And he started out funny, and he was always funny. I mean, even that piece, frankly, was funny. But, you know, when you make jokes about God, um, well, you're using the Lord's name in vain. And this, is, this, is, this kind of comedy would be impossible in certain communities. But it's part and parcel of where we're at here in the United States of America. What I'm trying to say is when we give up our borders and our boundaries personally and then scream about the border being open, that's a little bit disingenuous, isn't it, to have no borders personally but then want the border to be closed? Oh, please, Republicans, please, let's think this through. We have to be consistent. We cannot be hypocrites, and that requires some work that most of us are just starting to take a look at as something we, we might want to do. Now, here's a good one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you work and do all your creative activity, but on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath day for your eternal, your God, and on it you shall do no manner of creative labor, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Eternal made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Thus the Eternal blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So when we go to church on Saturday, Sunday, excuse me, that's the uh, Jewish in me. <laughs> Let's try again. <clears throat> Even getting a little choked up. When we go to church on Sunday at 10 a.m., because we want to get that 10 a.m. service, because we want to be done at 11 so we can get to the breakfast restaurant and get some eggs and toast with the family and get home to the easy chair by 12 to flip on the television to watch football? That violates a whole raft of uh, commandments. Like, put your God first. First. Because you know what you're really thinking. And I've been in church, and I know how it works, because I was there. Oh. Well, first of all, I had my good friend, Pat. I don't want to use his last name. 
really, really a charismatic guy, Catholic. We talked about church. This is many years ago, 30 years ago. I go, Pat, did you like what it? He goes, I loved it. What did you like about it? Lots of good-looking girls there. Okay, right there. Not there for the right reason. Community, not there for the right reason. You're there to pray and to submit yourself to the Lord. Now, if if your mind is on getting to breakfast and getting to home to watch a football game, you kind of miss the point. And we do that. And I'm not being critical and I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying we want borders. We want order in our society. And the leftists are destroying the fundamental order that existed for thousands of years. And we're all good with that as long as we get what we perceive to be the benefits. Here's another great one. Honor your father and your mother so that the days, so your days may be long upon the land which the eternal your God gives you. Well, that's a problem for me. That's a problem for me. Now, I, I've said this. I mean, I got along great with my dad. It was great. My mother, communist, we don't get along so good. In fact, we don't get along at all because she's anti-God to the max, and she really objects to me doing this. And that's what's great about the Bible, because if you study it, you can find Scripture and verse that will help you work your way through things, not by changing the truth. I did give my father respect. I did reconcile with my father. I love my mother. I want to honor my mother. But she rejects me because of my faith. So I can just say, well, there's another scripture. And you know, if you're studying scripture, you'll find these. Do not think that I have come to send peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be of their own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. And he that taketh not his cross and not followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So there's all kinds of wisdom in here. I'm not pounding the Bible. I'm saying we have a culture. It's called Western culture. It has fundamental ideas, and the left is removing those ideas. Like, you shall not murder. Thou shalt not murder. Okay, this is a big one in our society. I don't want to get caught in the weeds on this one, but you're not going to convince Professor Pitt that life does not believe that conception because I bake cakes, and when I put the dough and the, all the ingredients in the pan, it's not a cake, but I put it in the oven, and a little short time later, it's a cake. So it's a cake. The potentiality is there. Now, we've changed that fundamental. We've removed it. That's not an accident. The architecture of our culture starts to collapse. You shall not commit adultery. Okay. Well, that's pretty common, isn't it? You shall not steal. The whole society is stealing. Inflation is theft. Everybody's robbing and stealing. You shall not bear false witness. We see that all the time. In other words, what was forbidden religiously was attenuated through secular humanism 
which is an attack on these fundamentals of our culture. This is what's going on. These are Each one of these is a boundary. Each one of these rules creates a boundary. Thou shalt not murder. That's a boundary. Don't do that. And what Carlin was saying was, well, if you violate these, God's going to send you to hell. You know, this was not very, not very biblical of him. doesn't really follow the fundamentals. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to make a personal admission. You don't have to die to go to hell. You can be in hell right here. And that's what's great about faith. And I've said this, and I'll say it again. The Shaolin priests have a beautiful, beautiful um, idiom. And that is, when a Shaolin uh, forsakes the way and disgraces himself and the temple, the Shaolin must go to the kitchen and wash dishes until balance is restored to their soul. And this is the process of prayer and study and charity to recognize that people make mistakes and we can be forgiven. There are some things you cannot be forgiven for. We've talked about, we're not going to get into that today. But most of the failings of humans are forgivable if we give over to the process of the healing of the human soul, which of course is painful. And what do we, uh, we live in a world now where we're not supposed to feel any pain. Take a pill. Take a chill pill, man. You don't, you don't need to push it. Why are you working so hard? Hey, you know, we're living in a racist country with a bunch of oppressors. It's not your fault. You don't have to do anything. I mean, this whole destruction of the fundamentals of our, of our culture, this is what the left is doing to us. So what is our response when we're always up in the polls and we always lose on the election day? I mean, we've got to have a strategy for this. Well, let's remember these are spiritual boundaries. They're spiritual boundaries. Let's listen to what President Obama had to say about this. The election four years ago wasn't about me. It was about you. My fellow citizens, you were the change. You're the reason there's a little girl with a heart disorder in Phoenix who will get the surgery she needs because an insurance company can't limit her coverage. You did that. You're the reason a young man in Colorado who never thought he'd be able to afford his dream of earning a medical degree is about to get that chance. You made that possible. You're the reason a young immigrant who grew up here and went to school here and pledged allegiance to our flag will no longer be deported from the only country she's ever called home. Why selfless soldiers won't be kicked out of the military because of who they are or who they love. Why thousands of families have finally been able to say to the loved ones who served us so bravely, welcome home. Welcome home. You did that. You did that. 
you did that. If you turn away now, if you turn away now, if you buy into the cynicism that the change we fought for isn't possible, well, change will not happen. If you give up on the idea that your voice can make a difference, then other voices will fill the void. The lobbyists and special interests, the people with the $10 million checks who are trying to buy this election, and those who are trying to make it harder for you to vote, Washington politicians who want to decide who you can marry or control health care choices that women should be making for themselves. Only you can make sure that doesn't happen. Only you have the power to move us forward. There's so much to, to study and unpack. It's unbelievable. You know, this is beautiful. I mean, you know, one thing I can say about Obama, this guy was a phenomenal orator coming out of the church. You take that church and make it say anything he wants it to say. Thou shall not murder. Kind of a fundamental. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not steal. He's talking about these donors that write in these big checks. Hey, they're not writing them to the Republican Party. They're writing them to the Democrat Party. And they were under Obama. Because this health care that he's talking about, yeah, great. Now we got all these people in the country that came here undocumented and illegal, and we're going to have to pay for their health care. That would be we, the American citizens. This is called the Cloward and Piven model of destroying the administrative state, destroying it, breaking it. And Obama knew exactly what he was doing. But, boy, he stands up there. He's another guy like Tom Emmer. Man, if I could get these guys to join the tire business with me, I'd rule this thing. Fantastic. What a salesman. You know, there's not a lot of um, reward for talking to you and us talking as a community about really putting spiritual boundaries around our life, making choices that honor the spiritual and foregoing the temporal pleasures that are associated with, you know, sinning. And, and why is sin so popular? It feels good. It feels good. It's, you know, it really does feel good. And we have an entire governance now that's based upon Catering to sin. So I know this sounds rather preachy, but I'm driving at a point. If you don't like, and I do not like what I see, because I recognize that our culture is devolving and transforming into something completely different. It's not like it's going to go away. The traditional last, I don't know, 5,000 years of culture is being replaced right before our eyes. And the part that pisses me off is most people still don't see it, or if they see it, they're okay with it as long as their material high continues. They're really not dedicated to a creator that grants unalienable rights. So if they're not dedicated, of course the whole thing is going to come unwound, and that's what's happening. So what are we going to do, a political action community? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is 
doubled down my effort to follow these rules and keep these boundaries if I want the culture to continue. We do not know the impact of millions of people dedicating themselves to boundaries and borders. We don't know what that's going to mean. We don't know because it hasn't been done for a long time. We might want to try it again. And we can't depend on our churches or our schools because they're in on the scale. We have to do it as individual American citizens and recognize that these boundaries have been constructed to make us well, to make it well with us. Now, if you have a desire to overthrow God so that there could be governance by man, you know, the arrogance of the human ego, well, hey, you're going to use all every way to separate man from God that's at your disposal, and they are. Starting with some of the biggies, right? Tough to talk about even, a risk. But the law is about boundaries, and there are certain things we have to get back to. There has to be no possibility of bias in our judicial system. And there, within, when there's bias in the judicial system and people lose faith in our judges, they've lost faith in a fundamental of our culture. That takes the culture down, and it requires a new culture to come up. It will not be a culture of judges. It will be a culture of dictatorship. This is in Leviticus. And I only bring this up because these ideas are ancient. You shall not render an unfair decision. Do not favor the poor or show deference to the rich. Judge fairly. Interesting. Judge the people with a just law. The laws must be just. You know, right now we're going through a period where the laws are either not being enforced or there's unjust laws being passed into law. Okay, this is called taking apart the fundamentals. That's why our focus, as stretched thin as we are, and we're losing all of these elections, and we're not even paying attention to what's going on legally, which is where we're really getting the you-know-what kicked out of us. That's where we're losing the game, in the law schools. Anyone who appoints a judge who is unfit where the position due to a lack of knowledge or wickedness is considered as though he plants idolatry among the people. Judges need to be people of strength through good deeds, and they need to be clean of any infraction so that no one can make any claim of bias against them. I mean, this is fundamental stuff that's being undermined, and it's going to break our faith in the system and they're undermining, it, undermining our faith specifically to break our faith in the system because that means we need a new system. We need a new system. And that's where we're at the crossroads, the crossroads. The status quo will not continue. We're going to reorganize at a higher level of complexity as the United States of America, one nation under God, or we're going to reorganize as the United States of America and there is no God, and that's the end of that culture. And we're going to have to make a decision as we the people, and right now every time we have an election, well, it seems like we the people don't want to live as one nation under God. I mean, that just seems to be what the way it is. got to face it. 
So I'm facing it and I'm saying, okay, what am I going to do about it? Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill the law. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then knows one of these least commandments and teach others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And this is critical. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, well, that's the game. And those of you who think I'm pumping, you know, banging on the Bible here, I'm talking about our culture, how our culture works or how it did work, because it's not working now the way it has been composed. And, of course, those that are working our culture to a change are saying our culture was vile at the start because of slavery. Good argument, isn't it? Got to think these things through. And this all goes on in our law schools. It's all about our law schools. Who's teaching our young people to be lawyers, and what are they teaching them? And what's going on in our law schools is leftism and a critique of America that says white people and Christian people are evil, and all the law that came out of that tradition needs to be overthrown because it doesn't bring about social equity or climate justice or democracy. They've won this ideological battle, and no one is willing to stand up and speak truth. So I'm going to say this right now. This is no longer about winning or losing, because we lose every time, okay? Ha ha. If we win, it'll be a miracle. We lose every time. It's about telling the truth to ourselves, to our families, to our friends, not to do it in a judgmental or condescending way, but just to keep borders and boundaries ourselves. Because as within, so without. As above, so below. We can affect the world with our personal conduct, with my personal conduct, and I know that's true because this process is evolving me. I had a beautiful, I get beautiful feedback in the live chat where people tell me I'm making a positive impact on their lives. Well, you know, I'm trying to keep boundaries. It's not because of me, you know, Professor Penn, human being. It's because I'm really actually trying to uphold the fundamentals of the culture, and people, I think, can see I'm sincere about it, and I'm hoping it's moving you. I hope it's moving in some of you tonight. But what 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 do our elites do? Well, you know, they steal home. They know how to steal home. They know how to use the system against itself. And I want to just use a little metaphor to break up the seriousness of this. Elliot, could you play this uh, next one, Steals of Home? You'll enjoy this. Here comes Mahler to the plate. He has stolen home. The ball gets by Harper. And holding up at third base is Daryl Hamilton. Primarily because the pitchers usually go from a stretch. But he is in the windup, as you saw. And the ball gets by Harper as he tries to make a quick catch. From the minor leagues yesterday. Heading home on a, a steal at home, and it works. Jacoby Ellsbury has stole home. 3-1 Boston. 
A straight steal of home by Jacoby Ellsbury. Happen to half. You can bring guys out of your bullpen. Look at oh, this. Look at Jason Worth. He's going to try to steal. Oh, he does. Oh, how about that? He timed it perfectly. Watch what he does. He just waits for Martin to lob it back. And here he comes, slides right under him. The windup. And here comes Robinson, trying to steal home. He's safe, says the ump. He's out, says Yogi Berra. And brother is Yogi Hoppin. Steal of home is on the way. Safe. A stolen base of home by Gary Matthews Jr. Down to argue. No, he missed the tag. He missed the tag. Never tag. That's a good call. Here comes Grissom. And safe at the point. Indians win. This count missed it. That's Grissom. Squeeze was on. Did he foul it? Webster dropped it. Grissom touches home. The game's over. Ball looking a lot faster. Here comes Mondesi. He is in there with a steal of home. A quick look and then turn away and then start his windup. Mondesi steals it easily off a fastball up and away to Jose Cruz Jr. A straight steal of home by Raul Mondesi. Ollendorf who pitched the sixth and now coming down the line is Elvis. Here's the pitch and it's not in time. Elvis steals home. Hey, you've been looking for it for a long time, Eric. A straight steal of home. The Rangers lead 8-4. Since 2009, there had not been a straight steal of home in the American League. Jacoby Ellsbury had one then. And a buck was not called. That is a steal of home for Elvis Andrews. Runner goes. Fly. Safe. Nice. He stole home. Ellsbury steals home to tie the game. Matt Moore, a left-handed pitcher, was not watching him. Down here gets behind their Orioles. And here comes VR to the plate. He has it. And he stole it home plate. <laughs> How about Jonathan? That's good. Thank you very much. So, you know, uh, <laughs> they're stealing home. Now, stealing home is, uh, you know, it's part of the game. And to steal home, the pitcher has to be non-attentive. The catcher has to be non-attentive. There oftentimes is an error, like the ball skids away, requires great timing, courage. And that's like lawfare. You know, there's a lot of talk about things being rigged, things being stolen. Like stealing home. That's why I'm playing this. Like stealing home. You know, uh, in 23 states, the Democrat has won the House, won the state Senate, won the state governorship, and passed legislation oftentimes with the help of the Republican, that makes automatic voter registration part of getting a state driver's license. And we have all these people that are not here legally, and in 13 of those 23 states, illegal aliens can get state driver's licenses, which means they're registered to vote. Okay, this is not stealing. This is not illegal this is the law the law has been changed 
through the judicial legislative process changed by activist leftist lawyers and you know the republican side well the uni party side they're fine with it I'm talking about the america first side hey, we're not even paying attention to this and so the law is changed that means there's no election theft let's get off of that because it's kind of an illusion it just creates um hard feelings i you know i'm not talking about the past i'm talking about right now and going into the future 285 electoral votes by state have automatic voter registration. They even have an acronym for it, AVR. AVR, 285, 272 to win the presidency. So we go into the next election, hey, you do the math. And this is the normal process being exploited by people that want to win, that want to steal home, that are using the ineptitude, the failure of the opponent to police the boundary, allowing them to steal home. They're not on guard. They're not paying attention. And they're living with this kind of notion that things are supposed to be fair. Hey, there's no fair. Politics is war by other means. And we're getting our ass kicked fair and square. So what am I going to do, Professor Penn? I, for one, am going to have an opportunity to develop my faith and to develop my boundaries, my personal boundaries, personal boundaries, my personal boundaries. You know, thou shalt not murder. When I, you know, if, if someone is screaming at me and telling me I'm a horrible human being, and, you know, there's an old wisdom that says you can murder a person with words, and I allow them to do that, I have no boundary. I have to remove myself from that kind of abuse. You know, I have to have good personal boundaries. And how do I develop them? Psychologically, by adhering to a set of beliefs, a set of rules that I've invested in. So I've invested in these rules. I have boundaries. I'm capable of saying no. I'm capable of calling foul. I'm capable of working towards a goal. I have boundaries. And I think that if we pray and have these boundaries, we open up the door to supernatural results. So the very same people that let in the evil and broke the seals can close the seals, follow these boundaries, and we don't know what's going to happen. If we stop doing the wrong thing, things are going to change. Here's what Albert Camus said, which is kind of a radical thought i just like everybody to contemplate. The only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. Now, when Camus wrote this, he was talking about a religious worldview and radical freedom as rebellion. But this applies Equally, that's what great art is all about. It applies equally right now. The only way to deal with tyranny is to become so absolutely free of that tyranny that my very existence is an act of rebellion. Okay, thank you, Albert Camus. I know you didn't mean it the way I'm taking it, but hey, I'm taking it. Rebellion. Now, President Erdogan 
we were talking about last time. I just want to spend a minute on this. President Erdogan went in front of the Turkish people, hundreds of thousands of them, if not millions of them, and threatened Israel with a military attack. And what he did was, instead, is he came out very soon thereafter and said that he was going to file a case on Israel at the International Criminal Court, the ICC. So and I said that last time, and I thought, okay, maybe people don't know what the ICC is. The ICC is a globalist institution. It's a relatively new institution, and it's a criminal court based in The Hague that has been created to prosecute perpetrators of genocide, crimes against humanity, crimes of aggression, and they have really laid out a very um, well-thought-through architecture of these crimes. For example, genocide, killing members of a group, like going into Israel and slaughtering 1,400 people because they're Jewish. That'd be called genocide. Causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of a group. Well, okay, we can project that the other direction, like keeping people in an open-air prison. Deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of like, of like, let me try again, chokes me up. Deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction. Whoa, we could talk about this quite a long time. Let your mind kind of roll into recent events. Imposing measures intended to prevent births within a group. Really? What does that mean? Imposing measures intended to prevent births within a group. That's genocide. Boy, I wonder how wide they're going to go with that interpretation. Forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. And the ICC just in, in, in indicted Putin for this very crime. Crimes against humanity. Listen to this. Try to imagine war in this context. Murder extermination, enslavement, deportation, imprisonment, torture, rape, sexual slavery, enforced prostitution, forced pregnancy, enforced sterilization, sexual violence, persecution, enforced disappearance of persons, apartheid, other inhumane acts. Hey, that kind of wipes out the whole war thing, doesn't it? In other words, if you're at war, hey, so, you know, it's a crime against humanity, which is why I've taken the position that I'm praying for peace, that both of these sides suck. Eleven crimes constitute grave breaches of the Geneva Convention and apply only to international armed conflicts. Willful killings. Pretty hard to be a soldier and kill someone unwillfully. So if you kill someone willfully, hey, guess what? War crime. Torture. Inhumane treatment. Mm. Biological experiments. Oh, isn't that interesting? Willfully causing great suffering. Inflation. Destruction of an, and appropriation of property. Inflation. Compelling service in hostile forces. Denying a fair trial. Hey, hey, that's why we're talking about the law. Unlawful deportation and transfer. Unlawful confinement. Taking hostages. Hey, Hamas. Crime against humanity. I mean, the, um, the world is trying to come up with a um, 
an architecture that limits war, the International Criminal Court. It is a globalist institution. It is being used selectively. Really, it's only prosecuted Africans so far. And the Africans are saying, what kind of scam is that? And on top of it, to make matters more interesting, the United States is not a signatory nor a participant in the, in the International Criminal Court. And is that a surprise? We're running the largest empire, and we do the most uh, actions that would get a soldier prosecuted. Oh, and Israel's not in the International Criminal Court either. It's run by an assembly of some 123 countries. They administer it. They finance it. It's there to create a boundary between peace and war. It's a boundary. The law is a boundary. I'm not saying this is all bad. It's certainly not all good. But the humanity, humanity is trying to create a boundary that says, hey, war, war, there's another way. There's another way besides war. And if you get into war, we're going to prosecute, prosecute you and put you in jail. And they actually have put leaders of countries in jail for violating uh, this architecture. And some over 100 countries participate in this. Not the one that matters. That would be the United States of America. But I think, you know, it's important for us to recognize that all of these institutions are not necessarily bad by institution. They're bad by the people that are in the institution and their intent. Like we could have global governance that was based in your neighborhood. We could have that. That would be called Christianity. Go to your church. Have a neighborhood. I mean, that's what the end game is supposed to be all about here, right? So we don't have to be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We have to recognize it's the people that have removed the guardrails, removed the boundaries, used sin to manipulate the humanity, and they want to be in charge of everything and right now they are. I've said it so many times, but I just love saying it. Up in the polls, lose on Election Day. Let's think about that, you know? Okay, so we got to sell some soap. And uh, I'm going to say this to my producer. We're doing these Target Live reads. They have to be one minute long, and why are we doing them? We're doing them because Target is going to come up all across social media. Target is a really interesting opportunity. Everyone buys tires. Every media platform that you and I watch has to figure out how to pay the bills or they can't stay on air. And tires is a great way for Free People Radio to support Free People Radio and many of the other platforms that are in truth-seeking media. So we're asking you, the viewers and the listeners, to think about the patriot economy and support those businesses and business people that are supporting truth media. And our strategy here at Free People is to support this broadcast through your participation in Target. So just humor me. I'm going to do a one-minute live read. I'm going to do this every time because we got to get it out. Target is an online e-commerce retailer. Target.com. That's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. It's everything you need in tires. Now, TireGet is functioning in 80 metro markets that cover about 70% of the population of the United States. In those markets, we have the very best price 
on name brand tires and on low cost tires. And I mean the best price. It's good enough. It's close enough. Maybe it's not the cheapest on every tire, but it's close. And on most of the catalog, it's the lowest price you can buy. You buy those tires online from TireGet. At no extra charge, we will deliver them to your local dealer who will then install them for you. You will have paid for the service online at TireGet. So you don't even have to deal with those people. It's very ultra easy and convenient. You buy the tires and the service online. You show up at your appointed time and you get your tires put on. Out the door you go and you've supported this broadcast. Thank you very much. Now, we're going to move on to public opinion because it's very critical. Uh, Ellie, can you play this uh, piece on uh, why on the Israeli, re Israeli nuclear bomb threat? Now, in the backdrop of ongoing relentless strikes in Gaza, an Israeli minister has drawn severe criticism for suggesting dropping a nuclear bomb on the war-torn region. The comments were made by Israel's heritage minister, Amikai Eliyahu, during a radio interview. Following his controversial comments, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office issued a statement on the remarks describing Eliyahu's remarks as quote-unquote disconnected from reality. The statement also went on to add that Israel was trying to spare non-combatants in Gaza. Following the outcry over his controversial remarks, Amikai Eliyahu later shared a post on social media platform X that his statement about the atomic bomb was quote-unquote metaphorical. Meanwhile, on the war front, Israeli strikes heavily bombarded Gaza late last night. The territory saw numerous large blasts, fires and rising thick smoke. Around a dozen explosions were caught on camera across the border in Gaza in just a 20-minute period. Israel's Iron Dome system intercepted a number of rockets over the sky of Tel Aviv. Rockets exploding in air or into the air were seen up close from the city's skyline. The Israeli army released footage showing tanks and soldiers proceeding into Gaza, as well as targets being hit by airstrikes. Israeli soldiers deployed on army vehicles and shot towards designated positions. Hezbollah released videos of hitting Israeli outposts on the border with Lebanon. Blasts and plumes of smoke rose from sites of the Israeli forces. A communication tower in Al-Ibad and a surveillance camera on a crane were also hit by rockets. On the diplomatic front, Jordan's King Abdullah II and Crown Prince Hussein met with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Amman. Earlier, the top U.S. diplomat held discussions with Arab states on Israel's assault on Gaza. Foreign ministers of Jordan and Egypt stood alongside Blinken and repeatedly pushed for a cessation of hostilities. They say that the death of thousands of civilians could not be justified as self-defense. But Blinken said that a halt would allow Hamas to regroup and attack Israel again. And as the war continues to escalate, pro-Palestinian demonstrators staged protests in London, Berlin, Paris, Ankara, Istanbul, and Washington, and called for a ceasefire in Gaza. That's good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you know, we've got you know, politicians in Israel advocating for a first-strike nuclear attack on Gaza. Great. He backpedaled. I was happy to see Benjamin Netanyahu repudiate this guy. However, if Israel gets in a scrape and it gets threatened, it's going to use those bombs. But right now, it looks like everybody's mellowing out. And when I say mellowing out, 
The United States has sent three aircraft carriers and a nuclear submarine into the eastern Mediterranean. As of this broadcast, as I'm recording this, the Gazans are on their own. The Turks are filing a case with the ICC, which means they're just supporting the globalist architecture. And, uh, you know, hey, Turkey, I've been there, as I said. they got the largest airport in the world. Turkish Airlines flies direct to more cities than any other airline in the world. This is a globalist country with deep globalist ambitions. They're part of the globalist architecture. They're a NATO member. So President Erdogan likes to rattle his saber, but then he keeps it in its scabbard, and he's playing the game. And then we got Hezbollah. Oh, hey, three U.S. aircraft carriers in the region ready to rock and roll. This is called deterrence. You know, it's no way to run the railroad, but right now it's what we got. It's keeping everybody at bay today. It's keeping everybody at bay today. But let's listen to the Ayatollah, because the Ayatollah told us so. Put the Ayatollah up on here. The situation between America and Iran is when you chant death to America, it is not just a slogan, it is a policy. As I have stated the reasons previously, for many years, from the 1940s to the 1970s, that's 30 years, this is the leader of Iran speaking. The Americans did everything they could The corruption of the official Zionist regime would have been destroyed the very first week. And it would have collapsed. People took to the streets and chanting slogans against Israel. This tarnished the Western reputation. They really do not have any remedy for this, and they cannot make excuses for this. That is why we saw some idiots saying that Iran is behind the Basage was behind it. Or maybe the Basage of Paris. Crowd goes wild. That's part of their uh, military establishment. And, you know, this is uh, Iranian television. Okay, great. Professor Penn likes to go everywhere to get his information. That's the man. That's the Ayatollah telling us so. And what he said was, 
Death to America is not a slogan. It's their policy. That's the opening bid. So, you know, we've got some real uh, issues here that we have to work through. And Israel is creating a boundary. Woo, a big boundary. And we've got our military in the region, and it's creating deterrence. And all of this is going on. And we're sliding deeper and deeper and farther and farther into chaos. Chaos. It's chaos. So what am I going to do? Because the anxiety is, for me, very high because I know what's going on. And uh, the suffering for me is very high because I am suffering. So I'm just going to rely on uh, creating my own borders and my own boundaries and invest in those, invest in my own spiritual well-being. Because from my spiritual well-being comes my physical well-being. Because there's no give up in here. It's not like I'm going to all of a sudden, oh, I'm joining the new world order. I'm going to throw off my faith in God. I'm going to have faith in man. You know, it actually sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I'm going to stop believing in God, and I'm going to believe in man. Because man's going to do so much more for me. Can't make that move. Can't do it. So I'm going to continue to grow and invest and build this community, and many will come and many will go because they're going to reject the message or they're going to reject the work. And the work is first having that personal integrity because how can we spread a message of a creator that grants unalienable rights if we are not aspiring in our own personal conduct to live up to that covenant because it's the new covenant. So I think it's very important that we we think about the law and we think about what's happened to the law and how the law gets perverted. And sometimes I'm going to use this uh, Mossab uh, Hussein Yosef, who was raised as the son of Hamas's founder and who is now converted to Christianity. And it was a security state asset. But what this man is saying is so rebellious against the law that he found himself under, that he's risking his life. I mean, yes, he's a spy, but he's risking his life. That's called putting it on the line. He's not, he's not kidding around. You know, hey, I'm with you. Believe it or not, I'm putting on the line. I've been physically attacked. I get threatened physically. Target gets hammered by, by hackers. You know, people know who we are here at Free People because we're truth-seeking media. We are not saying we know the truth. We're saying we're seeking the truth with you. And, of course, for the people that have a narrative and they're saying it is the truth, they don't want any truth-seekers on the playing field. So what happened in, in Ramallah where Yosef was brought up? He turned out to be a truth-seeker in his own way and he rebelled in his own way. He rebelled against the law of Hamas. So I would like us to listen for an extended period to an interview with Yosef. It's going to be the last time I put him up because I want you to go find him. He's going to be very prominent. God bless him and thank God for protecting him and preserving him 
because I feel a kinship with them. And let me tell you why, particularly to the people who are very pro-Israel and believe that Israel should destroy Hamas down to the last person because they're the Amalek. And then we got them because they're communicating with me. And I've staked out a position that says peace, peace. I'm about peace. I'm praying for peace. Now, we're going to listen to uh, Yosef, and he's going to say well, we're going to have to have war. But we're occupying the same space intellectually. How do we get by this tribal conflict and provide for the well-being of the people? That's what we got to work on here. So because I'm talking to this community, and also a lot of Jewish people listen to me, so I'm talking about peace, which is a kind of a rebellious position. And I'm not taking an anti-Semitic position or an anti-Israel position. I'm just talking about being pro-peace, not seeing children slaughtered. I'm pro-peace. This Palestinian man is rebelling, and he's also taking a path of peace. So let's listen to him. Let's go out together. This is going to take us to the end of the show. I want to thank you for joining. I want to wish you a great weekend. We're all going to have a whole weekend to watch the news, come up with more creative ideas, lick our wounds from the last election loss, and get ready to take the next step, as President Trump said. We only need to be concerned about that next step. Thank you very much. Please enjoy this. I look forward to seeing you soon again. Elliot, run it out there. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored, live from New York City. Masab Hassan Youssef knows Hamas better than anybody else. He's spent many years in Israeli jails because of his links to the terror group, and those links could hardly be more direct. His father, Sheikh Hassan Youssef, was one of Hamas's founding leaders. Well, Masab ultimately flipped on Hamas while in Israeli custody. He spied for Israel. His intelligence is said to have prevented suicide bombings and other attacks. He's now an American citizen after claiming asylum and a converted Christian. But he's watching events in Gaza with barely concealed fury from his now undisclosed uh, location. And he has a chilling warning for Palestinians in this interview we recorded earlier. And I'm joined now by Mossab uh, Hassan Youssef. Uh, Mossab, great to see you. Um, it's an extraordinary story, yours. Uh, you were the eldest son of a man who was one of the co-founders of Hamas. And indeed, for your early formative years, you worked alongside your, your father. So you got a great insight into Hamas. Tell me this from the start. What were the intended plans for Hamas when it was founded, when it started, when it developed? What was the plan? You know, since its establishment, uh, Hamas uh, uh, has one goal in mind which is annihilating the state of Israel. Like the best, let's say, compromise that they could do is having a truce for 15 years, a ceasefire for 15 years as maximum, you know, but with no guarantee how they will act after. It's absurd. Uh, it's not a secret that Hamas wants to destroy the state of Israel. They cannot accept Israel or accept uh, Israel's right to exist. What was the point uh, that you decided to get out of there, to, to flee this world, this environment you've been brought up in? You know, I, I have I have m many reasons. Since I was a child, I asked my father many questions about Hamas delusions, about their brutality, about their abuse of power. And always he justified, you know, their uh, position. 
then I was imprisoned with Hamas. I spent about 27 months in Israeli prisons where Hamas was torturing their own members, our own people within Israeli prisons. They killed actually and tortured hundreds of prisoners. Uh, and this is when I start asking myself the question, what if Hamas become the ruler at some point? What will they do to our people? And uh, many years later, Hamas became the ruler of Gaza. And uh, I wasn't surprised uh, by their br uh, brutality. When you heard what happened on October the 7th, what was your feeling about that? Look, as I told you, I'm not surprised by Hamas brutality, but I was surprised by the scale of their attack. You know, not to this degree, wiping out entire communities, you know, messing with a nuclear power, the most powerful country in the region, a country with a, a trauma, great trauma from the past, with a, a memory of a Holocaust and uh, all the Nazis did in the past century, you, they opened uh, the gates of hell on the Palestinian people. This is how irresponsible this group people are, you know, that they are willing to actually sacrifice many Palestinian children the entire Palestinian people and use them as a fuel to just achieve their ideological uh, agendas, their religious agendas. They are careless. They don't care for the human life. We have to separate between what so-called Palestinian cause and Hamas cause. Hamas cause is a sick one. It's coming from the pit of hell, you know, and they need to be removed uh, from power. This is my message. As an ex-Hamas member, as a son of one of Hamas founders, that enough of this. If we don't stop them now, the next war is going to be deadlier. And only God knows what will happen next if Hamas is not finished as soon as possible. Mossab, how many regular Palestinians, particularly in Gaza, do you think sympathize with Hamas or indeed fully support them? You know, once Hamas is removed from power, we're going to witness people celebrating in Gaza. I guarantee you that. Mm. The people of Gaza are oppressed for so long and they had to endure siege. They had to endure violence, many wars uh, uh, for the sake of Hamas uh, uh, lust for power mm. and for Hamas political ambition. When this comes to an end, I promise you that the Palestinian people, first of all, will thank Israel for what they did. Second, the uh, idea of annihilating the Jews and the state of Israel will be dropped forever. You know, because Hamas is the, you can say, the last experiment uh, of uh, adapting violence trying to annihilate and destroy the state of Israel. This didn't work for Yasser Arafat. It took him 40 years to realize this. Mm -hmm. And Hamas has been trying for 35 years to destroy Israel. Finally, I hope that they will come to this understanding that Israel is going nowhere. If they insist on annihilating Israel, and of course, if Iran keeps on insisting uh, on this goal, this means the destruction of the entire region. This is the only uncertain outcome of this, because Israel is going nowhere. How do we get to peace from here?
you know, this time I'm afraid that war is the only way to peace. Uh, because if Hamas is not removed from power, uh, then they will uh, build more military, they will build uh, longer uh, range missiles, and the next attack, the next war is going to be deadlier. The use of force is the last resort. You can find this in every culture. And unfortunately, now Hamas left Israel and the free world as well with no choice uh, but to fight them and put an end for their violence. Uh, many civilians are dying. I understand this. Their blood is on the hands of Hamas and Hamas only. You see, it's interesting you say that because a lot of pro-Palestinians who I've had on the show in the last two weeks don't accept that argument. They say the blood of the civilians in Gaza is exclusively on the hands of Israel and that Israel's waged uh, a repressive occupation for many decades. Um, there's been a prison camp for Gazans for a long, long time, and that that has created the environment through which a terror group like Hamas can thrive and indeed win an election, as they did in 2005. Do you buy into any of that? I mean, do you think that Israel has overreacted already to what happened to them? Their argument is, what is proportion when you have a terror attack like that on your people? Look, since my childhood, uh, and I'm hearing the stories from pro-Palestine and from those who are using what's so-called the Palestinian cause, they care the least for the Palestinian children and their future. You know, I, I am the legit, uh, legitimate representative of the Palestinian children. The child within me speaks. I don't want somebody coming from London or somebody coming from the other side of the world to tell me what is the struggle of the Palestinian children. The Palestinian children, the Palestinian society has been hijacked by these criminals. And anybody who takes side, their side is participating in their crime. This is my answer to those people. And for the civilian casualties, etc., you know, First of all, Hamas is using, and it's very clearly, it's a fact that Hamas used civilians as human sheets. It's a fact. Then it's a fact that Israel call and warn civilians to evacuate buildings before they strike them. But in the meantime, Hamas put roadblocks to stop civilians from evacuating to safe zones. Hamas single misfire killed hundreds of refugees taking shelter at a hospital, and they blamed Israel. What are we talking about here? Israel is a democracy. Israel is accountable. Israel is not thirsty for the Palestinian blood. In the meantime, Israel is capable of wiping out Arab capitals in seconds. Why Israel does not attempt to abuse its power? But why, when the Arabs have just a little bit of power, a couple of missiles, they misuse power by launching them at civilians and kill them in their living rooms. We have a fundamental problem and we need to stop blaming Israel. We invited this upon our heads and the rest of the world. If they don't know the reality on the ground, it's better that they shut up. Mossab, your passion uh, and your anger is very palpable here and certainly very different to most of the pro-Palestinian voices I've had. And you know, I sense the Palestinian plight of its people is very much in your heart. Do you still have contact with, with any of your family? 
This is irrelevant right now. I don't have any contact with my family, and I don't care anymore. You know, enough bloodshed and enough involvement from people who don't care. They're just uh, warriors on keyboard, you know, and they're just storming uh, world capitals saying free Palestine, free Palestine. They don't know what the hell Palestine is. I am Palestine. And I say it's enough of Hamas. It's enough of the corrupt leaderships that they are killing our people, misleading them to hell is enough of that. We don't want Palestinian state. I don't want Palestinian state. Palestinian children need education. They need security. They need life. This is what they need. They don't need another corrupt Arab regime. Is it possible to get rid of Hamas in the way that Israel is currently trying to do through uh, airstrike bombardments and, and it is planned now an imminent ground invasion? Is that the best way to do it? Or is there a danger of radicalizing a lot more young Palestinians to the Hamas cause in the process. Listen to this. We are going to remove Hamas from power. Remember my words, okay? And Hamas did not only bring the wrath of Israel over Gaza. Hamas brought the wrath of God. We are going to remove them from power, and we are going to persecute their leaders, and we are going to bring them, bring them to justice. And the world will witness their punishment. And everyone who, who take their side today in this state of confusion, thinking that this is a joke, I tell those people that you are going to regret taking the side of Hamas. You are going to, take the, to regret taking the side of those criminals who are uh, killing uh, the Palestinian people. Mossab, you were born in Ramallah. That's your home. Do you dream of going home? One day, is that something you still aspire to do? I prefer not to ask to answer this question. I understand. Mossab, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Um, it's it's extraordinary to hear your story, and it's uh, a remarkable pitch that you make to the people of Palestine, and it's one that um, they will hear and will see their reaction. But I appreciate you joining me. Thank you very much. Thank you.